he gave the world perhaps the world's best bass lines. No one else comes even close. He laid down a groove, he nailed it to the floor. Remembering the excellent bassist producer songwriter for Chic, along with Nile Rogers, Bernard Edwards, who passed away on this date in 1996, age 43. Can't go past a song like that, can you, Simon? <laughs> I see you nodding your head. I, I what actually a, what think a, we should have all been dancing. Why, why weren't we? <laughs> what, what a groove. I know. I Honestly, know. eh? You can imagine, imagine going back to the days of Studio 54, Mm. Uh, or or Limbo's and Nelson. Let's get realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Palm Jeet. Oh, or, was... or, or DJ Dezo Les and Invercargill. You know? Just, I, I was just, just thinking, having a boogie. I was just thinking, if you continue to play that, Simon will be definitely yeah, dancing. Would he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, no, let's have right, a panel yeah. party. <laughs> hey? We deserve one. <laughs> Jim Moore would have done yeah, it. Just the, just the guy standing up the bank with the bass. You, you know, got it, eh? Oh, he, yeah, to, just, that's what he did. Yeah. He was just that. He never said anything. He just sort of did his thing. Anyway, uh, he uh, produced for uh, Diana Ross, Duran Duran, ABC, Sheila E., Rod Stewart, Sister Sledge. So recalling, acknowledging Rod uh, Bernard Edwards. The odd one Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just trying to think what song would he produce. <laughs> Yeah, what's got a good disco groove for it? Anyway, uh, you're on the panel, uh, RNZ National. This is very interesting, this uh, story. White-collar crime costs our nation millions of dollars a day, but there is a contrast with how we deal with different financial fraud. Tax evasion sits under the Tax Administration Act. Benefit fraud, well, that's under the Crimes Act, which makes many people question if we're locking up the needy and ignoring the greedy. Could sentencing guidelines be a good place to start? To discuss, we have Professor of Taxation at Teherangawaka, Victoria University of Wellington, Dr. Uh, Lisa Marriott. Dr. Marriott, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Can you just explain first tax evasion versus beneficiary fraud? What are we talking about here? Yeah, so in fact, if I perhaps just go back to the comments that you made, you know, at the start about how they're prosecuted, because that might be a good place just to start the conversation. Yeah. So uh, I received some information under Official Information Act uh, on the legislation that the two different offences are charged under. So tax fraud, that's, you know, not paying the tax that you're supposed to, and benefit fraud is where you take more money from the welfare system than you are supposed to. And what that Official Information Act uh, showed was that 83% of benefit fraud cases were prosecuted under the Crimes Act, and 84% of tax administration uh, of tax cases were prosecuted under the Tax Administration Act. And the main issue there is that there are harsher penalties under the Crimes Act right. than under the, the Tax Administration Act. So uh, that's the particular issue there. Um, and uh, I, I can't give you a very good reason as to why it is the, the way it is because I asked the government agencies why they adopted that approach and the Ministry of Social Development said exactly what you might expect them to say, which is they take into account the seriousness of the offences and, you know, they are serious offences if they're being prosecuted. So that's why they are prosecuting under the Crimes Act. Um, but Inland Revenue declined to give me a response as to why they don't use the Crimes Interesting. Act. Interesting. 
Yeah, uh, I, I think I think uh, Lisa, many listeners might be surprised to know this actually that uh, how we deal with different financial fraud, tax evasion, sitting under the Tax Admin Act, not the Crimes Act, and benefit fraud under the Crimes Act. What about you, Simon? Well, Lisa, I, I wonder. My my perception is that is that one of the things that motivates our attitude towards who should go to jail is that we tend to lock up people we think are a threat to us, so violent offenders. Um, and tax evaders and other white-collar criminals are not a physical threat to us in the same way, usually, um, and therefore we have a different view of them. And, 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 and I wonder if that's part of the problem, that, that actually if... Uh, white-collar people suspecting, uh, considering becoming criminals, considering breaking the law, if they knew they might go to jail, then some of them might behave differently. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point, and there certainly is research that tends to suggest that we um, we sort of have preferential um, views of people who are more like us. So, for example, you know, probably there are uh, several um, well, quite a few people who might have engaged in relatively small amounts of tax evasion over their, their life. And so therefore, you know, in general, people may not think tax evasion is inherently a, you know, a, a bad thing. Um, you're, whereas, you're allowed to get away with it if you can, you mean. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly. Whereas people tend not to have that same view about benefit fraud. Mm. Palmjeet, let's bring you in. Yeah, so benefit fraud, it's uh, government money, right? And tax evasion is also that money that should be going to government, which is not going to government. So in my view, um, there needs to be consistency because it's ultimately government's money, both ways. Lisa? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly right. And that's why a lot of my work has been comparing tax evasion and benefit fraud because, you know, ultimately, as you've both said, the victim is the same. It's the, the government and society as, as a whole. And in general, uh, tax evasion is still considerably more than benefit fraud. Tax evasion, what we know uh, in land revenue found over a billion dollars last year, uh, generally, in most years, welfare fraud tends to be in that sort of twenty to thirty million space. So, you know, there's a huge goodness in the amount. What the gap the, is that uh, massive? Yeah, yeah, it is, and it has been for a long time. Um, and if you think that probably most of the benefit fraud is detected these days, because it's pretty hard uh, to engage in, in welfare fraud these days with the amount of information and data sharing that goes on, um, whereas there's probably a fair amount more of tax evasion which isn't detected. So the 1.1 billion is is what is found. What is not found will be significantly more than that. Any interest, uh, have you any interest or, uh, yeah, in setting up any working groups on discussing uh, this issue on how to streamline the tax system so that uh, tax evasion and benefit uh, fraud is on a level playing field? Well, that's a really nice segue into the uh, conversation article that I wrote. And that article was uh, suggesting that we consider this idea of having sentencing guidelines in Aotearoa. And sentencing guidelines are documented sentencing ranges for different types of offences. 
and the uh. aim is that they then provide sort of you know clear direction. Um, and so we're getting to the point now, actually, when we're talking about sentencing guidelines, where the the crimes have been uh, have been found and have been prosecuted, but um, the sentencing outcomes are maybe not quite the same. So that was why I was writing about sentencing guidelines. So um, that was the aim with those is that they are providing guidance to judges on on the outcomes. So those outcomes are similar. That's a solution. Yes, Simon. You know, I was just thinking that there are there are some illegal behaviours that we uh, have historically tended to turn a bit of a blind eye to. Drunk driving used to be one of those things. I don't think drunk driving's. Um, I don't think our view is as is, is lenient, anything like as lenient as it used to be. Um, speeding is another one where there's right. been, I think, a change. Uh, we need we need a, a campaign to make tax fraud uh, a really, really uh, nasty thing, something that is socially absolutely not accepted. Um, and I'm, I say this only partly in jest. Um, I wonder if putting people in the stocks might help. The really, the really big ones, you know. God, the, so, welcome to the panel, Lisa, <laughs> honestly. So you for say, God's sake. So would you like to see um, tax fraud brought to Crimes Act or you would like to see uh, benefit fraud uh, brought lower than uh, Crimes yes. Act? Lisa, yeah, what's your view there? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it, it, I, probably a wee bit of both. Um, it, what tends to happen with prosecutions of both of these crimes is, you know, the, the numbers of prosecutions are actually quite low for both of them these days. Um, it used to be when I first started looking at this um, 10 or so years ago that the, the differences in numbers of prosecutions were just huge. But now they tend to be quite similar. But what it does mean is that these are the most serious of cases that are being prosecuted. So because they are the and if they are the most serious cases, then they should probably be being prosecuted under the Crimes Act. Or if not, they should at least be being prosecuted under um, a, a mechanism by which they're going to have similar outcomes. Mm. Very good to have you on, uh, Professor Marriott Kia ora. That's uh, Lisa Marriott, uh, Professor of Taxation at uh, Vic, uh, saying that uh, tax uh, evasion and beneficiary fraud needs to be uh, treated equally. Uh, it is 14 away from five. We have Simon Wilson today and Palmjeet Pamar. And a completely different topic here. Take a big sigh of relief. You go and pick up a new vacuum cleaner or a pair of pyjamas at 2am on a Thursday. Uh, you might have a need for a lemongrass aroma diffuser. Uh, that's something you might need in the early hours of the morning. Well, Kmart and Monaco has opened its doors at 8am this morning. Say as they'll stay open 24-7. One keen fan lined up at 3 30 a.m. this morning to explain this extraordinary phenomenon of the 24-7 shopping. We have first retail group managing director, Chris Wilkinson. Kia ora, Chris. Kia ora, Wallace and team. How are you? Very, very well, thank you. I'm not quite sure how excited I am about the the consumerist nightmare that is a 24-7 Kmart. What about you, Chris? Well, let's put it this way. There are a lot of people out there who are, and let's not forget there are many shift workers. There's a very broad demographic. There's a large audience in Auckland. So, yeah, there is a place for this. Simon? Um, I I think Chris is absolutely right. This is clearly aimed at shift workers. There are an awful lot of shift workers now because we have more flexible working hours now. Uh, Well, companies have more flexible working hours, and so um, this is... 
presumably serving in demand. And I think the more general issue is that if you go into a number of places, like I'm just thinking about Queen Street in Auckland and, and Central City shopping, mm. the shops tend to open around 10 and they tend to close yeah. at 5.30. And you they think do. most of the people, many of the people working in the office blocks around haven't finished work yet but would shop if you stayed open Okay, later. so you support, so Chris. Yep. The, 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 that whole idea of having better... Um, shopping hours that fit with people's work. Is Some have called it, Chris, uh, a, a dystopian consumerist nightmare. I mean, where where does it end? We, I, I can recall the day when we had Saturday shopping. You know, that was big enough. Then it went to Sunday. Now you've got 24-7 big retail. Where will it end, Chris? Well, let's put it this way, Wallace. This is, there is a certain amount of gimmick to this as well. The reality is that Kmart is one of the few retailers that can open 24-7 because it can work its self-checkouts. It's got people there anyhow refilling the shelves. We don't see 24-hour supermarkets anymore. We don't see 24-hour buttings or mitre tents no. because of the nature of the, the skills required to run those businesses over those periods. So this is a unique situation. Uh, interesting. Panjit? Uh, I support options. So it's really good to have uh, you know options there. Flexibility. As long as, yeah, flexibility as long as you can find staff. I know there is a lot of self-scanning, uh, self-service. Uh, Close at uh, one. Yeah. Who needs 24-hour Kmart? You never know. You know I was talking to a, um, a family member in States, and uh, she had uh, been in touch with a family who had just visited New Zealand, and she said they were making fun of New Zealand because they were saying everything closes at 5 or half past 5 because they're so used to having those late-night shops and you know going out in the evenings. So, Nonetheless, back to your point, uh, Chris, um, with a, uh, whatever I make of it, uh, there is a fan base in there. There were queues of uh, hundreds this morning. That's right. Look, actually, I've got to talk further on this, Wallace. We've been doing a lot of work around night economies here and overseas recently. Right. And one of the biggest challenges is for people such as nurses, the doctors, mm. or people finishing late shifts, is there isn't the variety of options that they need, particularly around okay. things like food. So it, it, it does really play into the fact that there does need to be options for this, for this cohort. Oh, we might come back to that later on the panel. Uh, night research on shopping. Yeah, and Chris, thank you for your time. Uh, that's our first retail group managing director, Chris Wilkinson. Uh, do you feel that you have uh, a hole in your heart because you have not been able to shop at Kmart uh, 24 hours a day, if you know? But it's not about whether I think it or you think it. It's not for me or you. It's for people who, for whom that is a convenient time to shop, and I think that's fine. Okay, fair enough. All right. Now to this. Uh, yesterday we talked about how the big banks are being outshone by the minnows. The Cooperative Bank and TSB are two top-performing banks, the annual Consumer NZ Banking Survey said, and it all hinges on customer satisfaction. So I said, well, why don't we do the panel Customer Service Thursday? And people's examples of good customer service came through. I said, forget the whingers, forget the complainers, let's highlight the positives. With us is Carla. Welcome, Carla. Kia Wallace and the panel. Lovely Hi. to have Hi. you on. How are you? Good, thank you. Tell us your story. Well, I celebrated my 60th birthday a couple of years ago and I got a voucher from my good friends Trish and Annette for Salute here in Day Spa in Lower Hutt and put it away and then COVID and lockdowns and I had it in a safe place, probably a little bit too safe. 
um, and then I found it a couple of weeks ago, so two years later. I rang Salute and spoke mm-hmm. to this very lovely receptionist. She was really helpful and asked her if they would, um, you know, validate or the voucher. And initially she thought no because the business had been sold in that time frame. But she offered to ring the owners and she rang me back like 15 minutes later oh. and said that they would honour the voucher. So I had my facial yesterday. And it was wonderful, and I loved every second, and they're just an amazing team there. All right, you had your facial yesterday, two years yes. after the voucher was... How do you feel? Oh, I just think it's uh, showing kindness to people, especially these days, is so important for you know, customers and for just for us, generally. I'm feeling the love from you, <laughs> because there's nothing like a good facial... Uh, and there's nothing like a jolly good spa. Uh, these are wonderful. I want to do a customer service Friday. I want to keep this going. Thank you for joining us, Carla. Cool. Thanks, Wallace. All right. And how do you? What do you think about that? That's that's really nice, actually. It's the same business. I know the owners changed, but they're getting a new customer now because she's so happy. Thousands yeah. of new customers. Yeah, and listening to this show. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Just, that's right. It's yeah, about yeah, acknowledging yeah. what we don't often get in Aotearoa, which is a good customer service. And now uh, we have Shane. Kia ora, Shane. Ah, kia ora. How are you? Very, very good. Can you beat that? What's your story? <laughs> Pedicure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> we, um, yeah, I've uh, managed to come across a very wonderful and young, talented uh, financial advisor um, that I was recommended to go and see. Um, and she, um, she's not long um, been in the job, but very professional and very, uh, very bright and very talented person. Um, now, this was my only my second second mortgage application ever in my life and um, she just guided me right through the whole process with um, just friendly and, and very knowledgeable and, and um, great advice on um, what I should be doing and what you know what she she would do and, and her job and my role and everything and it, and it worked out really well. So Very cool and you said Shane in the email that uh, young people of uh, this is Let's say her name, uh, financial advisor Bella Marotta. You said that young people of her generation often get very highly criticised and unfairly pigeonholed. So you wanted to sort of um, uh, recorrect that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Just just push the young people forward because there are a lot of really good, talented, young, and hardworking young people out there that are that are doing a great job, and they they definitely need to be recognised. And she's definitely one of them. Yeah, that's a fair point, isn't it, Simon? Oh, (laughs) it absolutely is. Yeah. Mm It is, definitely. I mean, customer service is going to be a big marketing tool. Mm, definitely. Mm. She's going to be a really a good asset to her employer, and, um, and she'll, go, she'll go a long way. Mm, um, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one, Shane. So, um, yeah. Simon? I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this survey that consumers done. I used to work at Consumer a long, long time ago. When I did, TSB topped the rankings then for uh, best customer service for a bank. And what we knew then was that there were banks that pretty consistently did really well and and insurance companies and others that did rather less well and some very poorly. And from the ones that didn't do well, you always had this institutional thing of, oh, we're doing the best we can and you, you don't understand we're big and it's difficult and blah, blah, blah. But actually there were always... 
outstanding uh, higher achievers in that same industry. Yeah. And it can be done. You just have to want to do it, and you have to have, a, have the mechanisms in place to make sure it happens. Shane, it's really nice to have you on the program. Thank you. Thanks no for sharing your story. No problem at all. Thanks, thanks for talking. There you go. Why don't we uh, do a couple more tomorrow, eh? Um, you've, got, uh, you've had two examples of great customer service there. A Carla, who after two years, her voucher was honoured. The, the Salute Day Spa in Lower Hutch, she, just, she had a facial yesterday. She's feeling great. And Shane there, who had some wonderful experience from a, a, a young person in her early 20s, Bella Marotta there. It's coming up to the end of uh, the program. Um, wonderful to have you. So much feedback this afternoon, so thank you for that. I wanted to touch on this before we go with Simon Wilson and Palmjeet Pamam. Now, a new episode of Bluey finally dropped over the weekend across the Tasman. Bluey being a hugely popular children's cartoon series. Highly anticipated episode, it turned into heated debate online, of course. And the backlash began, sparking a vigorous and heated debate because the latest series was called Exercise. It's all about how challenging it can be for parents to find time for fitness. And it opens with a bathroom scene where Bandit and Chili, Bluey's mum and dad, weigh themselves on the scales with Bandit sighing and squeezing his middle. Some parents said they were appalled at what they called a fat-phobic episode and had to turn it off. Others said, hey, the role of weight when it comes to an individual's health is absolutely paramount, given the the regards of um, of the rate of things like um, obesity and diabetes. We're on the panel on this. Simon Wilson. I I tend to the, this is a tougher conversation we need to have. Uh, I tend to that because I know that uh, weight-related issues, health issues, are a really big thing in this country. Uh, So I think we need to be able to talk about it more. Parmjeet, so, um, what do you think? I mean, fat shaming is not a good thing because yeah, this program is targeted, yeah, mm. targeted uh, to children. But um, as Simon said, we need to really craft the message properly so that we are not giving those negative signals, mm. but sending that positive message of being health conscious and importance, you know, uh, spreading the, the message of importance of exercising and being active. Is there something wrong about um, dad? Uh, weighing themselves on the scales? Oh, you'd have to look at the context, I think. <laughs> I mean, weighing, but then uh, demonstrating that actually he is fat and needs to do something about it. I think there is that fine line there, especially when children are watching. So you don't want children to feel that something is wrong with them. Got it. Uh, a fount of knowledge you both this afternoon. Thank you for Thursday, Simon Wilson, Palmji Pumar. Let's go out with a little bit of <laughs> chic, wonderful stuff. Power Ballad Friday tomorrow. Don't miss out, folks. Panel family, 345. See you then. Uh, Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next up. <laughs>